0: Good morning. I'm Sabrina Matsumaru. I'm here with Michael, my husband, and our kids, Nina and Takeo. <clears throat> Today's reading comes from Isaiah, chapter 9, and the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Please, please follow along in your own Bibles, or simply listen as the Scriptures are read. Again, that's Isaiah 9 and Luke 1, starting with verse 67. <clears throat> Following the reading, we will light the second candle of Advent, The candle of faithfulness. Actually, not faithfulness. Peace. As you are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness... A light will shine. Luke 1. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago.
1: Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live.
0: And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
0: We light the candle of peace. May it remind us of the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace.
1: God of hope, fill us with joyful expectation and peace beyond reason, that we may eagerly await your coming kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. In our day, may righteousness and justice flourish and peace abound. Amen. Good morning. Swing that over there. Uh, For those who haven't met me, my name is Marcus. I was up here a few weeks ago, uh, but for those I haven't met, my wife Caroline and I, we have recently moved back to the area after being away for a few years for Caroline's job as a midwife in New York. We are so grateful to be back. I can't say that enough, and the word grateful even feels not enough to me. Um, But uh, not only that, but I am also grateful for the opportunity to open the Scriptures with you again this morning as we continue our walk through Advent. Uh, But before we jump in, let's go to our Lord in silence, and let's wait a beat. I'll pray for us before getting started. Jesus, we meet you. We meet you. We bring to you all those moments this week that are sitting on us right now. The moments that can distract us, or or cloud us, or blind us from seeing you and hearing you. Jesus, we set down any pride we may be carrying and approach the, you this morning in. You are worthy of our humility. And we invite you to speak to us through the community of Scripture, our ancestors in faith. Meet us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, last week, uh, Pastor Matt walked us through a story in which the angel Gabriel came to a young Jewish woman named Mary to announce Jesus' birth. And in response, Mary had to simply wait. And when it comes to the kind of waiting Mary did, it's easier when there's a companion around. It's easier when there's a nine-month established timeline to your waiting. But what if you don't have those things? That was the question on my heart after the sermon last week. What if the weight of waiting becomes too heavy for you? What if you find yourself growing just too tired? The handheld? Okay. Okay. i'm gonna take this off what if you don't have these things what if the weight of waiting becomes too heavy what if you're growing just too tired to wait anymore and i'm not talking about the kind of tired that comes from being up too late i'm talking about that deep kind of tired The kind of tire that comes from waiting years and years for a relationship to maybe turn around, waiting for things to lighten up, waiting for things to change, waiting for that certain outcome in that certain situation that may or may not ever come. The kind of tire that lends itself to cynicism and doubt. The kind of tire that causes us to despair. 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 Despair isn't just feeling down or sad about something. Despair is the complete loss of hope. It's like a de-hope. It's like an un-hope, almost. It's when our hope unravels. When we accept defeat, it's when we give up. There are areas in my life right now in which I am despairing. Areas in which I've grown tired of waiting for God to move or waiting for God's kingdom to come. There are areas in my life where, honestly, I'm so down and out right now that I am just rolling my ideas, anything that even sounds like hope. And when I'm in despair, I don't feel anger or frustration because anger or frustration suggests that I care about it. More often, when I'm despairing, I'm just apathetic. I'm completely numb. Maybe some of us are dabbling with despair right now. At our best, we can fake a smile, we can say the right thing, survive another day. Sure, life may knock us around a bit, but we show up, we speak up, we believe that God's kingdom is on its way, but at our worst, we are waiting and waiting and waiting for a change that is just not coming. That certain outcome in that certain situation is just not coming. Eventually, we have to ask, why are we even caring about this? It's so easy to stop caring, but as we cease to care, we imagine that God is ceasing to care with us. Despair. You know, I think the Advent season can be especially cruel to us here in New England. You know, supposedly, these are weeks for us to celebrate God's coming in anticipation of God's coming again. It's a season that is filled with Christmas lights, festive carols, glitter, twinkle, everywhere. Yet the days are getting shorter. The night is getting darker. We're getting a little heavier. It becomes harder to leave the house. In so many ways, Advent represents an invitation to hope, yet also represents the temptation to despair. A despair that kills hope. Unravels hope. It's the kind of despair that Zechariah and Elizabeth felt, the parents of John the Baptist. Zechariah and Elizabeth are the very first two people that we meet in Luke's Gospel. They are the rock star power couple. Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth is also from the priestly line. They know the promises of God inside and out. And this isn't just head knowledge for them, right? We read that Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous in God's eyes. God's promises inform the way that they live and engage. But despite their best efforts... Despite all the prayers and hopes that they may have for their future, they are waiting for one thing that may or may not come to them. A child. They could not conceive and bear a child. They hoped and prayed and knew God could move, but over time, God didn't move. More time passed. God didn't move. Even more time passed god didn't move for them and before long they started to unravel at the possibility and likelihood that they wouldn't and couldn't be parents i want to pause here because statistically if i may many of us here today know elizabeth and zechariah's pain of waiting for a child the monthly cycle of hope and heartbreak. Each month is a roller coaster of hope and expectation followed by intense feelings of disappointment, sadness, anger, fear, failure, helplessness, guilt, embarrassment, envy, and perhaps eventually despair. Especially around the holidays. enduring the looks, the questions, the assumptions, the awkward interactions from friends and family and coworkers who do mean well, Think about almost any gathering that we have. How long does it take before someone makes a well-intended but misguided comment in the presence of a couple who are silently struggling through infertility? And this is just considering a couple's world. There's a whole other branch of waiting that's spoken of even less, the single person's waiting. The single person who desperately wants a partner, who desperately wants a family, but so far hasn't had the opportunity for a spouse, let alone parenthood. This, too, is an easy transition into despair. This struggle is real. And it's real for Elizabeth and Zechariah here, too. In public, Zechariah and Elizabeth are leading a faith community, a community who is waiting for a Messiah, something or someone that may never come. Meanwhile, in private, behind closed doors... Zechariah and Elizabeth wait for a child. Something, someone that may never come. Everybody's waiting for an outcome, and everyone's getting tired of waiting. The kind of tired that lends itself to apathy, doubt, and despair. Which makes the moment when everything starts to change that much more powerful for them. Luke 1:13 says, Miraculously, an angel of the Lord named Gabriel appears to Zechariah and speaks, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Hold that last line in the back of your mind for a second. God has heard your prayer, Zechariah. You are to name him John. We'll come back to that in a second. The angel continues, verse 15. Your son will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. In other words, God, through Gabriel, is saying to Zechariah, the day of Messiah is coming. Wars will cease, diseases will be no more, families will reconcile, poverty will be gone, creation will be made new, and your child, yes, your child, will be the one that leads the way to that new age. Amazing. Finally, right? Finally. But look how Zechariah responds. How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is well along in years. How can I be sure this will happen? Notice something here. Notice what Zechariah is questioning. He doesn't question that God will fulfill God's promises. He doesn't doubt that this is the beginning of the new age to come. He has no problems with God being the mover of history and the bringer of salvation. Rather, Zechariah is doubting that God cares enough about him to act in his life. He's doubting that God has invested in him enough to overcome his circumstances, their circumstances, he and Elizabeth's. How can I be sure that this will happen? Zechariah knows. He knows. He's righteous in God's eyes. He knows that God can overcome any circumstance, generally speaking, for other people, on a, on a corporate level. But on a smaller level, within his marriage, behind closed doors, in private, within his family. He's grown so tired of waiting that he no longer believes that God can care. For Zechariah, hope has unraveled. Unhope, de-hope, despair. How relatable this can be for us, especially those of us who have been in the church a long time. We believe God. We believe that God can save that life, heal that disease, ease their poverty, find them a job, grant them financial security, find them a spouse, bring revival in that country. But me? My life? My sickness? My addiction? My friends? My family? My marriage? My coworkers? My country? My government? My leadership? My soul? My loneliness? God doesn't care. God doesn't care about me enough or my people enough to make that happen. Despair. Look how the angel responds to Zechariah. He doesn't console Zechariah. He doesn't try to convince Zechariah or comfort him. Gabriel's angry here. Verse 19. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was God who sent me to bring you this good news. But now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. This is a different kind of angel than what we're used to seeing in Hallmark cards and nativity scenes, right? Like a parent to a child, Gabriel has to put Zechariah in timeout. For the foreseeable future, Zechariah, the priest, is not able to physically speak to anyone, not even his pregnant wife. Zechariah is faithful and righteous in all areas of his life except for this one thing, this one calloused and cynical spot. He has waited and prayed for this one good thing, the desire for a child, but this thing has become so essential to him. And in all that mystery and waiting and questioning, Zechariah's unraveled. He's lost himself. He's lost sight of who God is, so much so that even when an angel of the Lord comes into his room and stands before him, Zechariah still isn't sure that God cares. Gabriel assures Zechariah what will happen, but Zechariah is so deep into despair, that he just cannot see the hope that God is trying to drop in his lap. That's what despair does. It kills hope. So we would think, as readers, we would think as we continue to read this passage, by the time we get to see this child born nine months later, Zechariah will learn his lesson will think that Zechariah gets his voice back. You would think that, I'm picturing this amazing scene, right? The baby is born, and the baby's crying, takes its first breath, and then the camera pans over, and then dad just starts crying, and he, he's talking, and he's crying even harder, and then the Hallmark music goes. <laughs> but that's not what happened. Over the course of the pregnancy, Zechariah can't talk to his spouse. Elizabeth gives birth to a child, Zechariah can't talk to her. Even after labor, while he and his wife stared down at this newborn baby, Zechariah can't talk to her. You know, as I prepared the sermon this past week, there was an instance in which I was picturing these moments happen, and I just started crying at my desk. Zechariah couldn't cry or shout or cheer or even speak with Elizabeth as their child was born. Imagine how heartbreaking that was. We'd think that having the baby would give Zechariah his voice back, but that's not what happens. It's almost as if there's something else going on in Zechariah that needs to be addressed. Eight days go by. Zechariah still can't talk. Zechariah and Elizabeth, we find them again with their respective families at the child's circumcision ceremony. A ceremony in which traditionally babies, baby boys, are given their Jewish name. (laughs) It was common and expected to name firstborn sons after someone in the family. So the family wants to go the traditional route. They want to name the child after the father. Almost how we would call a child Zechariah Jr. After all, this child was the pride and joy of this family. They have waited for this child for so long. This child was the family's reward for waiting. A debate breaks out. Shockingly, it's Elizabeth that speaks up here. Elizabeth stands up and her voice cuts through the crowd. No, she says. His name is John. Do you see what just happened? Do you see the tension that's built up into this statement? Remember, the name John wasn't just some random name that Elizabeth likes out of a baby book. The name John was the name that God gave to the child. This name came from God, not Zechariah, not Elizabeth. And Elizabeth has waited so long for this child to come into her life. She's finally looking down at her child, this precious gift, and everything in her must be screaming to cling to this baby, to protect the baby, to insulate the baby, to keep him, to hold him tight and to never let him go. But even in the face of family and cultural pressures and tradition, Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. Not Zechariah. Not Zechariah Jr. Not, it's not going to be named after Zechariah's dad. Not the great-grandfather or the second uncle or any, anybody else in the family tree. She wants the name to be John. This name matters to her. It's almost like by naming the child John instead of a family name, Elizabeth is declaring to herself and to the room that this child is God's child first. Even though everything in her would want to build a fence around this child and to hold the child tightly and make him her own, she is still choosing to release and to surrender the child back to God's plan and intent. This child is such a gift to her, but this child is not a gift for her to possess or to own. She knows that just like the child came from God, the name must come from God too, John. There's confusion within the family. There's no one in all your family by that name, they say. So the room turns to dad to see what father will decide. They all look to Zechariah, Zechariah who still can't talk. Zechariah, who doubted that God cared nine or ten months ago. Zechariah, who would have been so angry and discouraged that by all those moments that were different with Elizabeth than he had expected. Zechariah motions for a writing tablet. He picks it up and writes, His name is John. And this is the moment the tension of the story breaks for us in the text. Zechariah gets his voice back. And he gets his voice back when he agrees that the child's name is John. Like Elizabeth before him, Zechariah chooses to surrender the child back to God, a child he desperately waited for so long back to God. This isn't my child, this is God's child. It clicks for Zechariah. This child isn't about him and Elizabeth getting what they finally want. This child is God's child, and it is to be surrendered to God's plan. Ultimately, for this child's future, God is and will be at work in God's way, not their way. His name is John. This morning, I suspect many of us here are hoping for something, waiting for something. And for some of us, that waiting is turning into exhaustion, Apathy, doubt, despair. We're tired. And in our our despair, Zechariah, we're starting to lose our voice. Before, we would see God's moving, and we would sing and exclaim and celebrate and point to Jesus, but now our hope is unraveling. Exciting moments are happening all around us, but now we're just flat. We're here, but we're not here. We don't recognize ourselves anymore we're just floating around making our way through because we're just too tired to hope anymore and we're starting to wonder if god cares anymore either but this text asks us i think where does your hope come from because when we haven't surrendered all and con- and when we continue to put hope in things or in circumstances inevitably I promise our hearts will get crushed. We will be let down. We will get cynical. We will get apathetic because that thing or that circumstance hasn't been and it will never be and it's never meant to be the source of our hope. If we withhold our surrender to God's plan until we obtain the thing we want in the way that we want it, I promise hope is going to be no more than an up and down emotion that you feel on your good days and that you lose on your bad days and our understanding of God is going to follow right there with it. Zechariah regained his voice not when he got a son that he could protect and call his pride and joy. He regained his voice when he recognized that while God, while John might be their child, ultimately John is first and foremost God's child. John is someone to release back to God. In the same way that my heart might be beating but it's not my heart in the same way that every breath that i take belongs to the lord everything that we have our money our power our families our our dearest held dreams our cries for justice our discontentment our pleas for mercy our desire for control to make things different these are all good and wonderful things but they're not the source of our hope hope is not lost if they don't come Hope has already been given to us. The source of hope is not circumstances or things painting out the way that we want them to. The source of our hope is Jesus Christ. We are invited to name our hopes in relationship with the Lord. The things that we desperately wait for. But we must always surrender them back to Jesus. The way through despair ultimately is surrender. And surrendering in no way means just giving up. It doesn't mean rolling over and dying, just welcoming any outcome that can come our way. Surrendering to Jesus means boldly and faithfully identifying what you want to happen. Naming the very thing that you care so deeply about, naming the thing that your soul is groaning for, while at the same time saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you with my life and with this. And it's not my will, but it's your will be done. Maybe you're waiting for a dream that isn't coming to be. Maybe it's in finances that aren't coming together. Maybe it's in a sickness that unendingly is plaguing your family. Maybe you're having the same argument with your spouse or with your friend for the 100th time because you were let down again for the 100th time. Maybe it's in the frustrating political cycle of argument. Maybe we're getting tired of scrolling past headlines. Of random death and murder. Maybe we're growing cynical at the always elusive prospect of racial inequality. Maybe our hearts are hardening as we consider what it will take to finally value and affirm women. Maybe you're despairing because you've said the same thing to the same people over and over again and they aren't listening to you. Maybe you're despairing simply because you're lonely and you're just tired of feeling lonely. This is where the gospel breaks through. This is where the gospel must break through for us. This is when Advent, as a season, wants to shake us and point us and remind us in the right direction again. The message of Advent is that when we were tempted to despair... We didn't fix our problems by mustering up hope and pushing through or persevering. Hope came to us. Hope came to us when we were broken, when we were in despair, when we wondered if God cared. Hope came to us regardless of what has happened in our lives or what hasn't happened in our lives. And that hope was the child, Jesus. The source of hope is Jesus, who is always with us, Regardless if specific prayers are answered today, tomorrow, or never, hope is here because of the God who came to us and who comes to us and who is with us from the day of despair to the day of delight. Our Advent series this year is called Rejoice, Rejoice. The Savior comes. And each week we're looking at a verse from the song O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and seeing where it connects to Scripture. The lyrics that we're looking at this week paint an image of Christ's arrival into our world. A Christ's arrival that pushes away despair and reorients our hope back to him. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Hear that last part again. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Jesus came, and Jesus is coming again. I want to close this morning by quoting Zechariah himself and rereading the passage that Sabrina and Michael read for us this morning. You know, when Zechariah gets his voice back, the first thing that he does is sing a song over his baby boy. A boy who will change everything for Zechariah and Elizabeth, yes, but also change everything for the world. These words did not come easy for Zechariah. He labored for them. He went through the darkness and despair and had his definition of hope shattered in order to be able to sing them. Hear the surrender in his words that he sings over his boy. Hear how he is giving the baby back to God, a baby that he'd be so tempted to protect and insulate and keep from God. Zechariah sings, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's, God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. That's the message of Advent. That's the gospel. Jesus came, Jesus will come again. In Christ, and only in Christ our hopes are already, right now, satisfied with a resounding yes. Even if we won't fully realize that yes until the day of new creation. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you know you know despair. You know what it's like to wonder if God is near, you know what it's like to wonder if God cares. Lord, we we praise you, Jesus, for walking that path for us. We praise the Spirit for partnering with us now, helping to walk that path for us. Lord, you who broke through and gave us hope, we give you the areas of our lives right now the relationships, the jobs, the heartbreak, the things that we're waiting for, all those areas where we feel our hope unraveling. We give you all the arenas of our life in which we're just too tired to care anymore. May this Advent be a season for us in which our hope is repaired and healed, Lord. Breathe new life into us. Bring revival into our souls, Jesus. You are in us, Lord, and and you must give us hope. Pointing us back to the source of true hope, you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for breaking through and coming. Amen.